0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Aya Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at A.L. audio. And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows, we might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never, ever charge you for this podcast. And I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible. All I ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Now, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM Podcast. If you've been listening for a few years, you know that around this time of year, I always take about a month, month and a half off just to refresh my brain. Well, this year, instead of leaving you with a gap in the episodes, I'm going to republish a couple of episodes from another podcast. This first one is when I guested on Finn McKenty's Punk Rock MBA podcast, where we talked about how I put things together behind the scenes. I think you'll love this episode. Here goes.
1: Good morning, Mr. Al Levy. Hi. Uh, We both sound kind of cool and gravelly right now because we had a a URM meetup here at NAM last night. We had probably, I don't know what, 30 or 40 people there or something more. We've been I think ta- it was like 60. We've been ta- wow. Yeah. We've been talking all weekend, so we sound cool. I want to. This is one of those moments where I want to be like, give me the access codes. <laughs> I'd give you the access codes. <laughs> My second career as a uh, voice actor. So what I want to talk about with you on this show is how to get people to say yes to working with you. My favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are extremely good at it. I mean, we can, we'll get into more detail, but you have made that happen for us at URM super consistently for the past almost five years now. I think you are as good at it as anybody on the planet. And the way that you do well, it you. is a very like non-pushy, non-douchey. You know, when you think about someone who's like a, I mean essentially what you're doing is sales, but when you think of somebody who is really good at selling, you think of like the douchebag, you know, handing his business cards to everybody and punishing everyone in the room. With a
0: picture of a Ferrari on his wall.
1: (laughs) Right, and you are not that at all. So that's the reason why I think you're a great person to talk to about this because the way that you do it is a way that I think will feel better to people listening to this and the reason why i think it's important to talk about this is because this i think is a big blind spot for a lot of people cuz i talk to people in my facebook group or dms or whatever where they have a podcast and they want to get guests on or you know they're in a band and they want to reach out to labels or managers or industry people or maybe they have like a little clothing company and they are looking for ambassadors and they just they have no real idea of how to go about reaching out to people, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I wanted to get out of this conversation. Perfect. So can you just kind of explain the format of Nail the Mix and, uh, and in particular, who all you need to get on board every month to make one of these things happen?
0: Yes, so the format of Nail the Mix is a monthly subscription where kind of like a magazine, there's a new episode or issue every single month. Every single month we have a new mixer Slash producer on who comes on to show how they mixed uh, something awesome that they did. And we also feature the actual tracks from the artist. Uh, so, you know, say that someone, say that we have Fallout Boy on one month with, uh, which we did with producer Sean O'Keefe, it means Sean O'Keefe comes on to show how he mixed uh, this particular Fallout Boy song that he mixed and, uh, our students get a chance to mix along with the actual tracks. And so they, unlike. So they
1: download the actual yes. files from the album that Sean used to mix the real song that you have heard. Yeah,
0: that's key. Um, because sometimes when you see like YouTube covers or some tutorials, well, they're doing covers. Like people will release, this is big on the internet, people will release cover versions of popular songs. We're releasing the real thing. Um, which means that we had to get approvals from lots of people. We need to get the band to approve. But that's that's more complicated than you think because as I've learned,
1: it's not just the band, right?
0: Well, it's not just the band, however, you need to make sure that the band, the band has actually not approved has actually approved not just one guy because uh, I've realized the bands don't really communicate. So we had a couple situations at the beginning where one guy, was cool with it and didn't ask his buddies. Right. and then <laughs> Like, wait, his, what the fuck are you yeah, doing with tracks, dude? Yeah, exactly. So we need to make sure that the band, the whole band, or at least the power structure in the band, is cool with it. We need to make sure that their management is cool with it. We've also learned that bands don't always talk to their managers uh, about this sort of thing. So the band's team and the band have to be cool with it. Then the label has to be cool with it, which means um, their lawyers have to be cool with it, too. And then on top of that, publishing. And sometimes publishing is the label, sometimes it's a whole separate company. So we need to get those, uh, and I'll call them three different teams
1: as well on board. As well as, of
0: course, the producer. Yes, of course, the producer. This all happens once the producer says yes.
1: So that's the first step in the process. Yeah. Like, let's say that you want to work with, do you start with like an artist or a producer or either way, or how does that, how does that work? I'd say 99%
0: of the time I start with the producer. I do have artists in mind, though, so that's the thing. I keep tabs on what I think will do well and what I think would be really, really interesting as far as artists go. Then I find out who produced them. Let's say Lamb of God.
1: We did Lamb of God, what, That's like August 2018, I think?
0: Yeah, actually it came out midway through August. So the first step was getting Machine, uh, the guy who produced the two records I wanted to do something off of to agree. and I didn't know Machine, so I had to meet machine somehow. Uh, we did that via the podcast. That's a That's a way that I get to know people.
1: And how did you get him on the podcast?
0: Through his excellent, incredible manager, Johnny Minardi and our friend Jesse Cannon, they are good friends and they used to work together. And I think Jesse had him on the podcast and uh, said, you need to talk to this machine guy. He's just awesome. And uh, so,
1: so it's like a chain where yeah. Johnny knows machine. Well, he manages machine. Y- yeah. yeah, so Johnny is the connection to machine. Jesse is the connection to Johnny. And to machine. Right, so there's like, it's like a three-step chain here to get the relationship with machine.
0: Yes, see, at this point in time, Now I could just go to Johnny if he's managing someone, because we're good friends. At that time, we were not good friends yet, so I couldn't just approach Johnny for this producer that I think was not into the idea of doing online stuff. So I went through Jesse, who had a great experience with him. Jesse introduced us, then Johnny reintroduced us, and we did a podcast. That's... A very easy way for me to get to know somebody because uh, we can have a two or three hour long conversation with a complete total stranger. W- when else am I going to get the chance to do that?
1: Because if you just call, if you're just like, hey, machine, want to talk for two hours? Yeah. He's going to be like, no, I'm yeah, busy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Let me sell you on this thing yeah. you've never even heard of. Right. No, that's not going to work. So, podcast is a perfect format. And also, it helps me suss out whether or not I want to work with this person because. Uh, as we've learned, not everyone's good at speaking and not everyone's good at teaching.
1: Being a great producer and a great speaker are two different things. Yeah. Some people are good at both, but not everyone.
0: Yeah, and it's no slam on anyone. It's the same as with music. Not everyone who's a great guitarist is a great teacher. Everyone who's a great teacher is a great guitarist. It's just, it is the way it is. Um, and we have learned that uh, I, need to be, I need to be discerning about who we bring on. Um, so the podcast is a great way for me to see if it's going to work with Machine. It was like fuck yeah, this guy's great. Yeah, this guy is all energy, all of energy. Yeah. yeah, and so positive and exactly the kind of dude I would want. Um, and we had such a great time that uh, that that to me said I can uh, I can turn this into something. That's generally how it goes. Ninety. 95% of so the you time.
1: felt like there was a good vibe, and yes. then you're like, hey, the podcast was awesome. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in doing Nail the Mix? Yeah,
0: and usually I'll wait until the podcast is out, let them hear it. Get yeah. some reaction yes. from it.
1: People say, hey, I heard you on the URM podcast. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and there's several reasons for that. First of all, since the URM podcast is big in our community, everyone who goes on gets a ton of uh, feedback Personally, like they get, like, their uh, amount of communication they get coming their way spikes. So that immediately validates us, makes them feel good because our community is super positive. So not only they'll have business contacts, being like I heard you, they'll just have random fans, which might be something they've never had before.
1: I always say being a famous producer is like being a famous plumber. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, For the most part. (laughs) Yeah. There's a few. Yeah, there's a few, but... uh, I don't know any famous bombers. Right. But there's
0: uh, a lot of producers who do incredible work that nobody knows about. Right. um, And they're perfectly happy being in the shadows. And that's actually something I need to overcome with them a lot of the time. Not only do they get a chance to see what kind of reaction they're going to get, which is validation. So that all goes back to validation. They also get to work with me once and see how far we'll go. So for, for instance, in Machine's case, I actually fired an editor over this. Uh, we always record a backup uh, microphone. And in Machine's case, for some reason, our editor used the backup microphone, which sounded like garbage. And so Machine got the podcast, I was like, dude, why don't I sound as good as all your other guests? I'm so disappointed. And I was like, what do you mean? And then uh, I listened, and I was like, oh no, he's using the backup. Why is he doing that? The reason I fired the kid was because he said uh, I didn't think you'd care. So, like, what do you mean? Right. You, you embarrassed me in front of this huge dude that I look up to? Especially
1: like, of course producers care about audio yeah, quality. like Of course
0: they're, yeah. The backup is the backup. So, anyways, that's that's not important. But uh, we re-edited it, is my point. We re-edited it right away. Within one day, there was a new version with the real file. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry, but it's fixed. And I just wanted him to see that uh, we won't just, if something's fucked, we won't just.
1: You'll jump on it and make yet.
0: it right. we will fix it so validation plus reliability
1: so there's so there's a few things here that I'm taking away from it number 1 is is the importance of of warm introductions and so that like mm-hmm. to get to machine it's a chain of warm introductions absolutely if it's somebody you don't know not to say that you shouldn't ever reach out cold to people that can work but generally speaking it's always better to have a warm introduction i
0: Totally, 100% agree.
1: And it might be three or four degrees away and it might take you six months to get that warm introduction, but it's probably better to wait and go through that chain of warm introductions over the course of six months than just reach out to somebody cold who has no fucking idea who you are.
0: A good for instance on that is uh, this really awesome lady named Kelly Musgrave who uh, from Linear Management who manages Tom Lord Algae and Colin Britton and Rick Carson and Bob Clearmountain, among other heavies. And, uh, you know, now we're starting to become friends, and uh, we've had great experiences working together uh, through Colin and through Rick. But when I was first reaching out, you know, I was uncomfortable about it. She didn't know who I was. She didn't know who we were. And uh, I couldn't just say, hey, uh, I'd love to have Tom Lord Algy on Nail the Mix. I know you've never heard of us. I know that he probably gets hit up 17 times an hour And to for, do stuff. For
1: anybody listening, what has Tom done that makes him
0: such a big deal? What has he not done that makes <laughs> him such a big deal? Let's just say one of the biggest things he's known for was Blink-182 in the 90s, and it hasn't stopped. Like He's done that level of artist since the 90s. Um, lots of people say that he's arguably the best mixer in rock which I, I agree with.
1: So this is actually a good topic to probe on a little bit more. When you want to work with somebody who gets hit up a lot, how do you establish yourself as somebody worth paying attention to instead of just like, I don't recognize, Al Levy, who the fuck is that? Delete. Like, How do you establish yourself as someone who cuts through the noise of all those requests?
0: Well, that's a, that's kind of what I was getting at. For instance, before I would even ask about uh, working with Tom Lord Algy, or before... I would even ask Johnny Minardi about working with Will Putney. And just for the record, if people aren't aware, we've had both Will Putney and Tom Lordalgie on. So I'm talking about stuff that actually happened. Before asking to work with those guys, I asked for them to work work with other people they represent who uh, were more, uh, I guess, reachable. Mm-hmm. For us, more agreeable to what we do in the first place. So, prove, um, so prove, yourself prove yourself
1: in a smaller context. Yes,
0: prove yourself with something a lot easier. And again, the podcast kind of does that. They have a great time too. The producers have a great time coming on because we talk about things that matter to them. I'm not just asking them what settings they use. Like we're talking about personal things and interesting things, and you know, sometimes these conversations go pretty deep and. They see that uh, they see that they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be wasting their time talking to me. And that proving ground, I think, uh, you start with that. You start with something small, um, something lightweight, something that's n- not going to take several days out of their life.
1: Let's say I had a T-shirt company, and I wanted uh, the story so far to wear it maybe you would approach their management who also works with 10 other bands and you would say, hey, I'm interested in getting my shirts on the smallest band on your roster. Exactly right. It probably doesn't get hit up that much and they'll be like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, sure. And then you yeah. knock it out of the park with the smallest band and then six months from now you're like, it's been awesome working with you on this band. Could we talk about maybe getting my stuff on the story so far?
0: Or even better, I would probably talk to a band that I already knew and have them introduce me to the smallest band on that roster and even better. have a good uh, you need know, a warm introduction to the managers right, too. Right, you right. can't it's hard to even approach managers. So
1: managers like to say no. Yes, that's that's <laughs> their job. And yeah, to filter out the bullshit. Yeah, yeah, the bigger you
0: get too, the more people that are full of shit that are trying to basically leech your lifeblood and time. Right. So managers are there to they're there to be the pit bull, basically is great can be annoying but i get it i totally get it so i would approach a band that is friends with one of the smaller bands on the roster a band that i already have great working relationship with and have me introduce them so for instance with a as far as kelly's roster goes um
1: kelly is the manager of tom lord algy
0: yes she was managing a friend of mine named alex prieto who uh now works uh for bob's burgers and he's uh he also has done a bunch of band records, but uh, he's he's moved on. But at the time he was managed by her and I had him on the podcast. And he introduced me to Colin Britton um, at a URM dinner. And uh, by bringing Colin to the URM dinner, uh, Colin saw that uh, URM was more serious than he.
1: And the URM dinner was, how many people was that?
0: About 30 yeah. in LA.
1: 30 cool, a fam- smart, super engaged yes. people. Having great conversations. This isn't like, you know, some corny industry get together. This is no. like a cool, awesome community that makes you walk away from it going, man, that was fucking cool. Yeah,
0: this was a this was like a bunch of great producers. Stephen Slate was there too. Like it was, there's some awesome people there. And uh, so Colin was like, whoa, these guys aren't just some bunch of internet shit dicks. Like, I mean, if you can
1: pull together 30 of those people for a yeah. dinner. You're, you're no joke.
0: Yeah, so that made it easy for because Colin does high level stuff. I can't just can't just approach him. Um, he, I mean, he's a great dude, but you know, he he also probably gets hit up all the time for bullshit. So once he saw that we were once we were validated, basically, then I brought him on the podcast. Podcasts went fucking great. That's when I got introduced to Kelly because it was like, all right, podcast went great. Uh, I want to invite this guy and nail the mix. Could I please speak to your manager about that? And uh, then I have a track record of great podcast with Alex, great podcast with Colin. I have an in with her. And then I got to meet her. And of course, like I said, it was, you know, we weren't friends at first. So I had to... Do the uncomfortable job of explaining what we were, and but because Colin was so uh, into doing something with us, he already said, "I will do it. Just work out the details with her." So I didn't have to get her to say yes. That's kind of really important because I think maybe.
1: So you don't. It's like you don't want to go around the manager, no. but you kind of do a little bit.
0: What you don't want to go around them, but you don't want it to be their idea the very first time. right? Because if they're not familiar with you,
1: you're gonna say no. <laughs> ideally, you wanna get buy-in from their client. Yes. And then engage the manager at the proper time to like handle the bullshit. Yeah, and uh,
0: I think it's important to be clear that a manager's role isn't to get people work. It's to help people get the most out of their work and then to help strategize how to springboard off of that. Sometimes it'll be to get work but not really not with producers. Producers get work through uh, through word of mouth they don't typically get it through managers so once uh, Kelly had a, a great experience with us through Colin coming on Nail the Mix then it was natural for me to say Kelly I would love to have Tom Lord Algae on because can't just ask for Tom Lord Algae first time out the gate uh, and again I didn't just say can Tom Lord come on Nail the Mix? I said, can I have him on the podcast? I want him to feel good about working with us. Um, I wanted him to feel like he has rapport with me. I wanted him to feel like he's not wasting his time. So uh, we did a podcast, and it went great. So from that point, I felt like, all right, I think I feel as comfortable as I'll ever feel asked inviting him on Nail the Mix. This whole process, just mind you, Tom Lord coming on Nail the Mix, and Alex being on the podcast was about two and a half years.
1: And not everything takes two and a half years, but when you're going for a big fish, like Tom, yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. So there's a couple of things that I want to take away from this for everybody. One is, like you said, patience. Mm-hmm. Like this shit is not going to happen overnight. And, Correct. And all these deals that you see announced, you know, may have been years and years and years in the making. Yeah. You don't see all the you know, steps in between, but it probably took years to happen. Yeah.
0: I mean, we haven't even talked about the band part. Right, (laughs) (laughs) right. right. That's just getting the producers to agree. Yeah. So then there's the
1: whole... And it's kind of the same process with band. I mean, you don't have the band on the podcast, but, like, the second thing I want to take away from it is, you know, whether you think of it as a ladder or a funnel or however you want to think about it, you have this series of steps that basically is starting with small wins and building Mm -hmm. off of those until you earn trust and build relationships and ask for bigger and bigger, bigger things each step of the way. Earning trust and you don't move on into the next step until you've earned trust at the current step.
0: Correct. And then usually though, the things that are the bigger wins are the same process as the smaller wins. Like When asking, uh, when going through the process of Getting tolerant algae, on Now The Mix and starting with the podcast. It's just the podcast, same as with anybody else. It's just us having conversation. Uh, And then the question is, is it going to go well or not? Or did it go well or not? And if not, we're not moving forward.
1: Right. Just like you don't skip steps on a ladder, at least I hope you don't, because that's a good way to fall and break your neck. You don't skip steps in this process of getting people to say yes. Correct. And, I mean,
0: there's someone else on Kelly's roster I want to work with right now. Um, now that, you know, we've had Alex Collin, Tom she, we've had Rick Carson on the podcast, I could probably go to her and say, I'd like to bring this person on Nail the Mix. And we could probably work it out.
1: But you're going to wait until after Tom is on and has a win? Yeah.
0: Well, no, no. I'm going to ask for the podcast regardless. Okay. Even though I could Got it. skip this step because... Again, it it can't just be about the manager. The producer needs to, the producer has to feel very, very strong about this, being beneficial. So if I don't know them, the podcast is the best way. So you just, you have to find some way for people to understand that uh, working with you, being involved with you is a good thing.
1: Like to me, the part that a lot of people miss is what's in it for the other person. That is all I think about. Like, when, so, if you DM somebody and say, listen to my demo, like, why? Why should they listen to it? Yeah. What's in it for them?
0: For instance, with Tom Lord Algae, one of the reasons I didn't ask Nail the Mix up front also was because I didn't know what was in it for him. Because what is in it yeah. for him? There's a dude who has won.
1: Like, it's obvious what's in it for us. Yes. He's a badass that works with an incredible artist, and we'd love to have him on, but in what's it? in it for him?
0: yeah no amount of money that we would offer would i mean it's obviously we're paying him well but it's not it's not the, enough to do it, it solely for yeah, the money he's made his money he has nothing to prove what's in it for him and uh, that's through having people on the podcast i also figure that out because i get to figure out what their values are uh, what is important to them what they hope for what they're into
1: like some people are passionate about you know uh, passing down knowledge to the next generation. That's what
0: it is with Tom. Uh, yeah. He loves mixing, like, loves it. Like, he is still as passionate about it now as he was when he was 20. He loves talking about it, and uh, he feels very strongly, like you said, about passing it down. And so once I knew that that was enough of a motivator for him, then my angle was that he has done stuff like Mix with the Masters, which is awesome but it is a certain crowd. Uh, We have a different crowd. We have, I think, a much younger crowd. And bigger. Bigger, yeah, but they have an older crowd. And I think Tom wants to reach the the utes of, (laughs) of, of the nation, basically, and so I offered him the opportunity to do that.
1: And so let me just interrupt you there. I think this is an important point is you don't proceed to the ask until you have a very clear idea in your head of what's in it for them. Like here's why I think you might be interested in this.
0: Always, 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 always. I hate sales, I really do. They make me feel uncomfortable and the thing that I hate about it in general when it's being done to me and when I see people talking about it is that, uh, yeah, the words like value uh, get thrown around a lot, but I think a lot of people don't actually make that their mission, the what's in it for the other person. I think what's in it for the other person is it's everything. Like you said, it's obvious what's in it for us, but we're not having a conversation with somebody unless what's in it for us is already Understood. That's the easy part. Yeah, that's the totally easy part.
1: Give me (laughs) $10,000.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so... Because
1: I'm going to go buy a new car.
0: Yeah, it's so easy. So I don't need to think about that part. I'm not going to talk to somebody that won't be... that I think won't be beneficial for us. There's always something in it for us.
1: So let's say, uh, again, using our hypothetical t-shirt company and we want bands to wear our shit. At this point, it's just me... Uh, running this out of my bedroom and I have three designs, uh, why would a band want to wear this shirt? Like, what is in it for them? Well, let me
0: sidestep this answer and say something about why you wouldn't want to approach a big band um, if you're not proven, uh, even if you're a sick designer, which has ha- something that's happened to friends of mine who are yeah. great artists. Is Say you get Metallica to wear your shirt and they love it, what are they going to do? They're going to take your design to their (laughs) dude and be like, make stuff like this. Yeah. Um, Because they don't know you. Right. They don't care who you are. Just because you made a great design one time doesn't mean anything if you don't have the relationship. So in order to get to the point where that bigger artist is going to not only wear your shirt, but have you make the next one, which I think is what you really want, then there has to be some sort of a track record and relationship there, or else you will get bypassed next time. There are lots of artists out there. They'll get someone they're comfortable with to replicate your design, um, the style of your design. So, again, that's why by starting with the smaller wins, um, you're building that relationship so that when you finally get up the ladder, there's momentum and there's, there's something solid there. If it's coming through the manager or coming through other bands, uh, they can say something like, "Well, we've worked together ten times. It's been great, and you'll have that behind you, which is it's like it's like a priceless one of those uh, priceless commercials. Right, right. It it is priceless.
1: So, so if you were starting from scratch, you know, if you came into this, you had a network before Nail the Mix Mm -hmm. before URM. From your days as a producer and your days in Doth, you know. Mm -hmm. But let's say that you didn't have that network. You were starting like cold, just you're an absolute nobody. What would be your first step in getting this thing off the ground? Get good at what I'm doing. (laughs) What? I mean, like, (laughs) is that assumed? who, Who would be the first person that you, like, literally, let's say that you had to start Nail the Mix but you didn't have any network whatsoever. You were just a kid in a bedroom with an idea. Where would you start building this network of trust and all these relationships? What would be the first person you would talk to? So, uh,
0: people are gonna hate this answer. Um, if, I want, if I was a kid and I wanted to start Nail the Mix, I would say that I'm gonna start it
1: down the line and I would build up my credibility well, actually, this is a good point. We didn't just start Nail the Mix. Correct. There was the podcast first.
0: And there this. was Creative Live.
1: That's true. But let's talk about the podcast and how that set the stage
0: mm-hmm. for okay. Nail the Mix. For people that are unaware, the, the URM podcast came out about nine months before Nail the Mix. The URM podcast— But
1: Nail the Mix was planned.
0: Yes, Nail the Mix was planned long before that. I think me and you had been talking about it as way far back as 2013— after doing Creative Live once, we had already started throwing that idea around of how cool would this be if we gave stems. Right. But it just didn't feel like the right time. So anyways, 2015, uh, early 2015, the podcast comes out. Now what made that podcast different than other podcasts at the time, besides the actual content was the fact that it was a paid subscription. Most podcasts are not paid subscriptions. So it let us test whether or not people were willing to pay to hear us speak over and over and over and over. So it was again. like
1: five bucks a month. Is that right?
0: There were tiers: okay, from five, fifteen, thirty, sixty, and uh, those upper tiers actually gave some of the services that we do now in as part of our subscriptions. Like for instance, uh, there were there was a tier that got you one-on-ones. Uh, there was a tier that got you mixed crits, for instance. So some of the stuff that became what URM does was being tested in those podcast tiers, and through that, a we built up a subscriber base of a few hundred people who were happy to pay for us to talk about stuff, and it also let us play around with uh, with features and services for a while and see what people care about so that when we did come out with the nail the mix offer we could add other things that would make it a no-brainer
1: so you basically said let's confirm that people will actually pay for us to teach them about audio
0: yes month after month after month after month
1: right and whether it's the exact same Offer or whatever is a separate conversation, but let's just test if anybody gives a shit about us mm-hmm. talking about audio enough that they will pay for it.
0: Yeah. Now the mix is a massive undertaking.
1: Because you don't want to just jump in and like, hey, yeah. let's build this company and live stream and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What if nobody what if nobody cares? How do you de-risk it by like proving it? Exactly. You
0: know? And and we said from the beginning that this is going to turn into an audio school. I don't think everyone believed us, but uh, that like We were very, very clear about it to listeners and to people in the community that uh, this is, podcast is just the beginning. But yeah, we started with, I guess you could call it the minimum viable product, but we started with something that would just test if people were down with a subscription. Because there's
1: a big difference between will people listen to us talk and will people pay to listen to us talk are two different things.
0: Yeah, and then on top of that, will people pay to listen to us talk Versus, will people pay to listen to us talk over and over and over? Right, right. That's a whole other thing. Like, I knew from Creative Live that people would pay to listen to us
1: talk. Right, because we did, you and I did what? Eight. Four? It was eight. Eight. We did eight. Yeah, yeah. we did did eight classes together at Creative Live, which sold, you know, six figures. So Mm -hmm. we knew that there was, you know, something there. But again, to your point, one-off purchases like that are a different thing than subscriptions, and it's smart to de-risk it by testing these ideas. So that's another, I guess, the big takeaway from all of this to me is the idea of being deliberate and patient and going in steps. And each one of these steps, whether it's three steps or a 100 steps, is just proving that you can win here and then ratcheting up a little bit, going to the next step, proving it there, and you keep going until you get to the end Goal. Yes.
0: And let me clarify something that people may not understand or maybe they're not thinking about. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is about uh, taking deliberate steps and de-risking, and of course. However, you also have to know when to press on the gas. Um, so one key example was uh, when we first started Nail the Mix, uh, we rotated. We didn't have these big bands. It was me, Joey, and Joel. Rotating every month, and uh, Joey was a bigger producer than us, so the bands he brought were a little bit bigger, but he still didn't bring like his
1: it was like Versa, yeah, yeah. Versa,
0: uh, Versa Collide, yeah. Yeah. No v- Cap- yeah, Vesta Collide, Vesta yeah, Collide. i no. I always
1: get that mixed up with Versa Emerge, yeah,
0: v- Vesta Collide, Chunk No Captain Chunk. I brought on some local bands, yeah. and uh, you know, Joey didn't bring Asking Alexandria right. on. Oh, uh, we brought bands that
1: would, say again, yes. because you weren't. That would be skipping steps. Yes, that, there's no And we way. did get Asking Alexandria later, yeah. years later, after we had proven ourselves in those earlier steps yep. on the ladder.
0: Exactly. So we started with locals. Little by little, we started to get bigger bands. And um, we got basically Machine Head and then Periphery, back to back.
1: Like We Came As Romans was the first like real big... No, that was a year later. Was it? yeah. Okay. That was a year later. So maybe Machine Head was the first, like, real big name. Mm, I think it was Neck Deep. So basically, it, it went... Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it went
0: Neck you. Deep, Chelsea Grin, something, Machine Head, Periphery. Okay. And at that point, because still with Chelsea Grin, then Joey did one, then Joel did one, and then September was Nolly, Yeah. it was like, okay, this is a a turning point because at this point we're gonna get a lot bigger and so the question is do we continue doing it with me joey joel and then maybe every three months bring in a big band and someone else or do we just press on the gas right now yeah and uh just go for it and with the potential risk of running out of bands like if it didn't go fast enough or and you
1: couldn't get people to say yes yeah
0: Enough. Yeah, and then what? Then we would fail because after having like say we jumped up to bigger bands like Periphery and everything that came next for six months, and then we couldn't get any more yeses. Then what? Right. Our people wouldn't be happy to go back to local bands.
1: And by the way, I should say with Periphery, that was a really big early win for us. But we had all worked with per- the people in Periphery for years. Yeah, before that, that didn't come out of nowhere. So that was not a cold relationship no, at
0: I, all. Absolutely not. But uh, at that point, my instinct was to say, fuck it, let's just go for it and try to only book bigger bands and other producers from this point forward. Maybe we'll do Nail the Mix sometimes, but us teaching them. But from this point forward, let's take Periphery as the jump-off point. And uh, it is a little riskier to do this because, like I said, there's no going back. Can't go back to the local bands. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, to me, it was a bigger risk not to do that because once we had Periphery on, I knew that that was when other people were going to start copying us. Yeah. And uh,
1: and, and to use the ladder analogy again, to go back to local bands, no disrespect to them, that would be like taking a step back down the ladder. And yes. going backwards down a ladder sucks. Fuck that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> we so. don't want
1: to do that. So although there is always going to be risk, it was logical. It wasn't like a crazy... No. You know, wild... Haymaker. it was a logical, calculated decision that made sense.
0: But it was definitely riskier. Yeah. And it was definitely stepping on the gas. Um, but, again, uh, I thought it would be riskier to not do it just because, as has happened, that's when the copycats started coming out. So, yeah, you take the small, the small wins and the, and the calculated risks, um, but then you also make the big moves when you have to so there it's there is a balance to it but like you said none of the bigger moves just came out of nowhere it w- it wasn't some wild swing it uh it was definitely calculated
1: so the the big thing to me that people can learn from you in regards to this is working backwards to me mm-hmm. so you know with any of these things you have an end state in mind and you don't necessarily know how long it's going to take to get there exactly but you know if you want to have You know, Rick Rubin on with Slayer or whatever, you know, you would, and God, that would be cool. And that that will take years. Yes. There are 20 steps or 50 steps or whatever in between that. And I think what people are missing is they don't do the work of outlining all those in between steps.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And, and if it sounds like, if all these things that we were talking about sounds like a big complicated game of telephone and, like, you're imagining, like, you know, in Homeland or any of these movies where they have, like, the pin board, like, in it's their... It's not like that. But it kind of is, though. It well, the, like, well, it is, but I
0: guess what I'm saying is, yeah, people make the mistake of skipping the steps... But I find they also make the mistake of over-planning. Right, so I right. do have that end state in mind, and it is kind of like you know having the names on the wall and the, the pins and the yeah. map and all that. However, I don't have that written down anywhere. Right. That's all in my head, like the end state of, of getting a Metallica or a Slipknot on.
1: Because you don't know, in hindsight, there was a clear linear path yeah. there. But, you know, of course we want to have Slipknot and Metallica on. And you probably have in your head right now eight different potential ways that that might happen. Mm-hmm. And it will one. I think it will happen one day. Probably. There's eight potential ways it could happen, and you don't really know which one it will be. Correct. So you're just kind of probing on multiple different fronts.
0: Yeah, and there's always the, the ways I don't know about yet. So.
1: And there's probably lots of times where you're pretty sure that it's going to work out this way, and then it ends up working out in another way that you didn't expect at all.
0: Yeah, and uh, also, you know, people do say no sometimes. And uh, so I've had it where I thought for sure someone was going to say yes, and then they just flat out not interested at all, like an actual no. Slamming the door in your face. Yeah, an actual no.
1: Like, uh, hey, would you like to go out sometime? No. Nope,
0: and you got to know when no means no and uh, respect it. But I just wanted to make that point about over planning because I have noticed, I do think some people will listen to this and then sit there and try to plan out The next fifteen years, step by step by step by step. Right. Which I think also is a waste of time because none of us can predict the future. Uh, So you have to have some, like you said, you got kind of got to work backwards and have a basic understanding of how you'll probably get there. But more than anything, uh, some sort of a process by which uh, you can move up the ladder little by little by little um, and that you can repeat over and over and over again but i think it has to be emphasized that i don't think that we could have started nail the mix if we didn't have our prior track record yeah we could have
1: started it but our prior track record being you all as producers and us on creative live
0: yeah and like the re- the relationships that i have uh, that i've called upon to help some of this happen are relationships that go back 15 years. Some people are people that I encountered in like 2005 when I was trying to get my band signed, who I interacted with back then and then haven't since, but we had a good positive interaction 10, 15 years ago and that made it easy to talk to them. (laughs) Some people I had a bad interaction with back then and uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, basically mend the relationship. But still, the fact that there is lineage or a, a history, yeah, man, that makes so much of a difference. That's why I said, when, what would be the first thing to do? And I said, get good at what you're doing. Um, I know it is kind of funny and it is kind of obvious, but I was, I was serious about that. Like, if you're because some kid.
1: That's how you earn trust. Yes,
0: that's how you earn trust. And if you're not awesome, none of this matters. Then you're useless. Yeah. None of this matters at all. And I don't mean to
1: say that in a cutthroat way, like, oh, you're useless. It's just, that's the reality of business, Mm -hmm. is you have to be useful in some way. No matter how much people like you, that only goes so far. If it's like, dude, I love that guy, but I just have no idea what we would do with him, like, that's a dead end.
0: Absolutely, and so I would encourage the, the younger people listening to, yes,
1: Get good at something and, and develop a reputation for being yes. the person who's good at that thing yeah
0: if you want to do something like this, which sure I encourage you start a business, that's great but um, in order to start one, I think you need credibility
1: I also don't really even think it matters what you are good at no. it just matters that you are good at something yeah because like if you're known in your community as a badass carpenter. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Just be a badass at something, and then if you want to start a t-shirt company, like you will have earned credibility as a carpenter that will make people take you seriously when you start the t-shirt company. Which I know sounds weird, but it it just the point is that you have earned a reputation as somebody that can be excellent at a thing, and, yes. and that's what people respond to.
0: I am positive, and I don't want to sound braggy or anything, but on topic, I'm positive that if URM were to disappear tomorrow, I could get involved with something high-level or start something high-level and use my network, Yeah. and I would be taken seriously because of uh, the track record that's been established. Um, Not that I want it to go away or anything, but I know that because of that track record, um, it doesn't matter if whatever that thing would be Wasn't an audio school, right? What matters is that people have seen, seen what I can do now. You've proven that you can execute exactly. Uh, That is so 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 important. So for the kid who has these big dreams, you got to look at that first. First and foremost is how well do you execute, and then from there everything else, you know, everything else comes next. And it's kind of like you know with these marketing products and funnels and all that marketing education that people take on and lead magnets and all these things that people do to try to sell online who, that work really, really well if you've got product market yeah. fit but don't work at all if you don't. And right. I've noticed that a lot of people will take these online courses and get click funnels and do all that and have zero success. And they watched an ad where someone was like, this funnel made me $18,000 in one day. Which is something that we've experienced. Yeah. Because, I believe it's, I'm yeah, sure it's true. That it's, probably that
1: person probably did make 18 grand a Yeah, days. yeah,
0: totally. It's that it happens. It happens when you've got product market fit. But what all were the of other, it works. What were
1: the other conditions around that that yeah, enabled that to happen? Exactly. That's the part they leave out in the ad, is well, this person has also been working in this space for twenty-five years. Yeah, well you has, can't
0: sell that because yeah. you can't sell that part. There's you can't sell uh, credibility, you can't sell experience, Um, you can't sell a track record, Uh, but that is crucial for any of this shit to work. And then, if you have all that, then these are just tactics and strategies.
1: So, I guess just to bring it all home, to me, the biggest theme in all of this is start small, start now.
0: Start yeah. small. So it's going to take a while, so start yeah. now.
1: Build relationships, build trust. Don't skip steps in the mm-hmm. process. Just start small and work your way up. And remember, like, I think, you know, without tooting our own horn, I think both of us do pretty cool stuff now, but we've also been doing it for 20, 25 years. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't do cool shit like this in 2002. Did you see that meme? And I, and I remember reaching out to people back in 2002 just totally, like, blindly, <laughs> and and I can just imagine them getting, I would send them stuff in the mail, and I can just imagine them getting it and just being like, what? Who, like
0: demoralizing.
1: Yeah. yeah, but I didn't know what else to do, you know?
0: Yeah, man, I remember uh, sending out press kits in, like, 2003 to labels and press for my band and getting laughed at online, like, one guy got, our press kit and his whole review—he review our record. He reviewed our press kit and just trashed us like it was just demoralizing. Uh, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. And why would they give a shit? There were ten thousand other bands trying to.
1: So, Karang isn't going to give a fuck about your band. No, of course not. But the local, you know, alternative weekly paper might. Your YouTube audience might. Yeah, and if you get five uh, alternative weekly papers to write about you, then you take those and you shop it to the next person up the yep. ladder and do that five times, shop it to the next person on the ladder, and then in six years, you're in Kerrang! Yeah, exactly. And
0: uh, that, that basically is how it all works. Um, it all kind of follows that. I think, again, uh, back to why I think that... Uh, Younger people need to establish their credibility first. Is precisely that, uh, like it or not, uh, nobody's going to give a shit, dude. And I get hit now. I'm the person who is in the position of not giving a shit when certain people hit me up. And
1: I and it's not you know, that you're not, you think you're too good for it. It's just, you just can't.
0: Yeah, I can't give a shit about every single thing right. that comes my way, or else the stuff that was truly important. I wouldn't have time for it. I barely have time for it as it is. So uh, I have to be very, very careful about how I spend my time. And I imagine every single person who is busy, who can help other people out in any industry is going to be busy. And uh, so they're going to talk to people who are valuable to speak with. So if you're not bringing something to the table, uh, you're going to get ignored.
1: Before you reach out to anybody about anything, make sure that you can answer the question in your head, what is in it for them? Correct. And if you don't have an answer, don't hit send on that email.
0: Yeah, it's that simple.
1: Cool. Well, thanks uh, for sitting down and unpacking this for everybody.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: And if you are interested in checking out what we do, you can go to urm.academy or nailthemix.com, and uh, we'll teach you how to make some awesome music.
0: And, uh, yeah, if you feel like hearing me speak about sometimes this kind of stuff, just Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast in iTunes or Spotify or on our website. We have about 250 episodes. It's a good way to start. You don't (laughs) want to pay money. Okay, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at A.L. Levy URM Audio. And of course please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the
1: podcast link today.